Um, as we come into this uh, next sermon series, uh, one of the things I want us to do as we, we contemplate this summer is, is begin to analyze the question in our life. What comes to mind when we hear the word God? What are the concepts we are thinking of? What are the ways that we, we analyze how we relate to God? What is our concept of our Creator and even how do we know God? And so let me, let me even pose that question before us right now. How do we even know God? Any thoughts or responses to that? How do we even know God? Yeah, the Holy Spirit. Let's process it together. He's a creator, right? Through the Word. And so the Word, the Logos is one example. So we know God by His self-revelation of Himself through the Word, right? How else do we know God? Pardon? He's our provider, right? Yeah, Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ comes to us and he says, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father, right? And so we, we know God, we can understand God only and purely by his self-revelation of himself. There's no other hope for us to know God unless he reveals himself, is there? That, that is our only hope in how we, we could even fathom or understand or grasp the concept of our Creator, of our God, is if He reveals Himself to us. And the question then becomes then for us with that posture is, well, well how does God reveal Himself then? What does He teach us about Himself? And, and there's various ways that God reveals Himself. Uh, there's, there's four major ways that theologians often talk about how God reveals himself. Well, well, first of all, God reveals himself by his actions. And so what are some ways that God has acted that he has t- taught us about who God is? What are some action words to describe God? Yeah, and answering a prayer. So he, God speaks to us. What are some other action words? Yeah, God created, right? He did something. That's an action where God created. What else does God do? Yeah, heals pra- he, he heals, right? Healing prayers. God protects. God sustains. God loves, right? And so these are all action words of how we understand God. Now, now here's another reality of how God has revealed Himself. He's revealed Himself in Scripture through names. So what are some names of God that have been revealed to us? Jehovah Jireh. Yahweh. Pardon? Abba Father, right? There's all these names of, of God, how He's described, Lord, God Almighty. Now, a third category then, so if we have actions of God, we have names of God, uh, a third category now becomes attributes of God. In other words, characteristics of God. So what are some characteristics, what are some attributes of God that has been revealed? That God is pure love. He's faithful, He's all-knowing, sovereign, 
He's peaceful, right? He's a God of shalom. He is holy. He is set apart. He's never changing. He's fair and just. He's a righteous God, right? And so now we, we're, we're building our understanding and description of God, of holy, good, love, gracious. Now, a fourth category then are images of God throughout Scripture. And so what are some images of God that Scripture reveals to us? A shepherd, yeah. A cornerstone, right? We talked a lot about that in understanding the temple. Yeah, a, a judge, right? A father, yeah. Edith's catching on already. She's looking up behind me. <laughs> yeah, all, all these things, okay? And, and so now, and I mean, we could spend hours and hours and days and days. I mean, this is something humanity has been wrestling with and engaging in throughout, throughout history of how do we understand God. But these are four major ways that God has revealed Himself to us. Now, what happens in our life then, and I, I say this as a precursor to what we're going to enter into, what happens in our life is so often we, we engage God or we relate to God in a very one-dimensional way. Do you guys know what I mean when I say one-dimensional? Where we either we focus or we, we highlight one aspect of God and that becomes all-compassing about God. Now, I, I think we do this in many ways because of the culture that we live in. We, we live very much in an entertainment culture. And when you live in alt entertainment where we're watching movies or watching TV, Pretty much every movie or TV show that I've watched, unless it's done by a very good director, all the characters are very one-dimensional. So you're taught how to interpret that character right from the onset. And I remember as a kid, the first time I realized this was watching the movie Home Alone. Has anyone ever seen that movie Home Alone, right? It's a story about a young boy, Kevin. He gets left behind as his parents went out, his family went to vacation, and he has some burglars that are trying to break into the house, right? And so what he does is he sets up all these booby traps in the house to basically torture these two burglars, right? And we as the audience... We're supposed to, again, treat these characters very one-dimensionally. So, obviously, Kevin is the victim. He's the, the lonely child by himself. And then we have Marvin. What's the other guy's name? Al Albert or something? I can't remember. Marvin Harry as the two burglars, and they're trying to break into the house. Now, naturally, it's set up that the only way we're supposed to view these characters is this innocent young boy and two horrible, evil criminals, Right? And then as a kid, I remember reflecting, I said, what Kevin did to those guys was horrific. <laughs> did you guys ever, like he was literally torturing these guys and we were celebrating the torture of these two guys. Like that's how easily we can view people one dimensionally. And that's, there's thousands of examples I could use of that. That's just the first one that I experienced as a childhood, thinking one-dimensionally. But, but here's the issue that can come. It is we can do the exact same thing with God, can't we? 
And and here's the danger that comes from it. When when we have a concept of perhaps a concept of a loving God and a just God, well, if we overemphasize the loving nature of God, then nothing anyone does could ever be wrong, and God forgives everything. But God, God is also a God of justice, which means, yes, God is all loving, but He also makes things right. He also eradicates evil. And so all these characteristics and ways that God has revealed Himself, we have to sort of hold them all together and understand that God is not one-dimensional. God is a complex God, and, and God takes a lot of effort to get to know Him and to understand Him. Now, I say this all as a precursor because what we're going to be doing for the next few weeks is focusing on one aspect of God. And do you have any ideas or guesses from the slide? What aspect of God are we going to focus on? God the Father. Now, in light of this, I think if there's, if there's any mistake we could make in overemphasizing an attribute or a character, or an image of God, I think the safest one to overemphasize is this one, to view God as Father. If we're ever going to make a theological mistake of overemphasizing some image or understanding or picture of God, I think the safest one we could ever emphasize is Father. Now, why do I say that? Why do I come to that conviction? Well, first of all, let's look at the life of Jesus and, and, and understanding how did Jesus relate in the triune God? How did He refer to God? When Jesus prayed, how did He pray? He said, our Father. And even when Jesus prayed on His own, He related to God as Father. And 21 out of 22 times that Jesus prayed, He referred to God as Father. The only exception being when He was on the cross where He cried out, my God, my God, where he's quoting Psalm 22. And so Jesus comes in his deepest understanding and his greatest revelation of how we relate to God is Father. And we even see this Jesus himself taught us as disciples how to pray. He began by saying, Our Father. And so everything we, we understand about Jesus and his understanding of how we relate to God is based in this concept a father. Now, we may brush that off as not that significant, but when we understand the narrative of the story of Scripture, and, and we understand the, the story of the Old Testament, we have to realize that what Jesus was doing and giving us a permission and, a, and an opportunity to cry out to God as Father, this is something incredibly unique. This is something incredibly unique. This is an entirely new way for us as the children of God to relate to God. So, in the New Testament or the Old Testament, again, there's many ways that, that God is referenced and God is understood, and there's, there's not many ways that He's referred to God as Father. When we look at the Old Testament, there's about 15 times that God is talked about in relationship to Father. There's a few where God is compared with the characteristics of an earthly father. There are a few where, where God is compared to his fatherhood in regards to his creation. 
There are few where God is referenced as the God of the King of Israel, but nowhere is this concept of this intimate relationship, even adoption, that we see Jesus Christ give in relationship to the Father. And so this this becomes this massive theme throughout Scripture, which we're going to explore. Now, I remember when I first came to faith, um, I started to read my Bible, and I had absolutely no idea what was going on. Anyone share that experience with me? (laughs) You you start off in faith, and you say, "I, I want to know God. I want to be in a relationship. I'm seeking after Him. I'm trying to understand Him. But there's, there's so many things that have to be built, have to be understood, have to be studied for us to know God. That's why knowing God is literally an eternal pursuit, okay? If, if you think knowing God ends as we, we finish this life on earth, no, this is eternity of striving to know and experience God. But I remember when I started out, I, I had all this confusion, so I, I went to the pastor at the time in Prince George, and I went to him, I said... I'm really struggling to learn and know about God through all this. And so he gave me this book. I think I've shared this book with you a few times, Knowing God. Who here has read Knowing God before? Phenomenal book. Uh, one of the most helpful books in my spiritual journey. It was, one of, it was the first theological book that I had ever read. And, and what, what J.I. Packer, the author, begins to do is describe all these attributes and characteristics of God, and he, he builds what's called theology and understanding of God. And later on in the book, in chapter 19, he, he comes with this statement. And this statement has struck me for many years now. He says this. He says, you sum up the whole of New Testament teaching in a single phrase. If you speak of it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In other words, he's saying if you sum up the entire New Testament, especially in its distinguishing nature as opposed to the Old Testament or the First Testament, the reality is that one of the main themes that Jesus brings is relationship to God the Father. And he, he continues by saying this. He says, in the same way, You sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Amen? Amen? That's a beautiful thought. It's this beautiful thought. And so what we're going to be doing these next few weeks is is just coming to a, a better understanding, a better grasp 
of what it means to have God as Father. And so, all I want to do this morning is sort of come as an introductory to this. We're going to be spending three weeks after this engaging this thought. Uh, I know many of you are, are wrestling with the concept of Father. And, and many of us, because of our earthly fathers, have a distorted view of God the Father. Um, let me just get a sense here. Who had a good relationship with their father? Who had a bad relationship with their father? Who had no relationship with their father? Well, I knew Becca would be one, but she's not in the room, right? But it's, it's this concept of our earthly fathers actually influence our, our thoughts and presuppositions about what it means to call God Father. And, and we're going to wrestle with that a lot more next Sunday, but for the purposes of this Sunday, what I want to do is just begin to look at some basic thoughts of, of what does this mean to call God Father? What does it change about who we are and our understanding and our relationship with God? And so first of all, to understand and know God as Father means that we are adopted. We are adopted into the family of God. Who here has any adopted kids? I know a few of you, right? That's Yeah, it's beautiful how many of you actually have adopted kids. And, and there's this beautiful nature of adoption, isn't there? Adoption changes literally the status of a child, doesn't it? It changes their very future. It changes their very identity. It changes everything about them. And it's the same way with the, the gospel of, of us being adopted. It changes our very identity and who we are. Now, this is what Paul writes in his letter to the church in Ephesus. It says, in what? In love. God is love. Amen? In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons. I'll explain why it's just masculine in a minute. He adopts himself as sons. How are we adopted? Through, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And so, I, I need to clarify something here because sometimes when we use the language of fatherhood, um, God can be talked about in sort of a universal way where God is the father of all people. Is that true? Is that true? Can anyone just call God Father? It's, it's sort of a yes and no. If it's in reference, okay, God is the Father. In other words, it's more in line with God as creator of all people than yes. But on the other hand, what the New Testament teaches is that it's only those who are in Christ. It is only through Christ that we can truly call God our Father. And so th this is what Paul is explaining, that it's through Christ that we have God as Father. It's only in relationship to Christ that we can actually have a relationship with the Father. And, and this is what Paul says, to the praise of His glorious grace. It's an action of grace which we has blessed us in the Beloved. And so what we see here now is this new reality of how we are able to relate to God because of Jesus Christ. The new reality is that Father is now the primary way in which we relate to God. 
God is now this loving Father. We are now part of a family. We now have the status, the gift of adoption. That's the beautiful reality of what it means to call God Father. Now, here's a, here's a beautiful reality of adoption then. When a child is an adopted child, their status changes instantly, doesn't it? They go from no family to family. Um, I, I, even if you hear Robin Edith's story with Andrea too, that's a beautiful story. They've told it a few times, hopefully even more. But it's, even with Andrea, what was it? She, she had no citizenship, then she had three citizenships, Chinese, American, and Canadian, right? And just status being completely changed just like that. It's the same reality with us in the kingdom of God as our status, our identity changes in an instant when we are adopted as children. Now, this is what beautiful too. Is adoption, does it have anything to do with the ability or the, the effort of the child? No, it has nothing. And, and the picture then is this adoption then doesn't, doesn't change the, the child in the sense of what they did to earn it or what they did to seek it out. When you adopt a child, it's purely the pursuit of the parents or the person adopting that child. And it's this beautiful reality with God as well as God has been seeking us out to bring us into His family. The status is what change. And, and this is something we're not aiming at. This is something we're not striving for. This is something we're not trying to earn as, as humans. But this is a gift which has been given to us in Christ. It's a beautiful reality of the gospel. Amen? So we are adopted as children of God. Now, now here's another beautiful aspect we are co-heirs with Christ. What, is, what does it mean to be a co-heir with Christ? What, what does it mean to be in the status with Christ? Well, here's where the narrative of Scripture is quite beautiful. The, the, the concept of, of sons that God brings out actually has significance to it. And again, this is where, again, I'll bring it up for you women who maybe feel out of this discussion, but let me clarify it in Romans. Paul says, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into what? To fall back into fear. In other words, you don't receive a spirit of slavery. Slavery, in reference to here, is slavery to sin. Sin that dominates your life. Sin that controls your life. Sin that you feel hopeless in. Sin that you feel brings guilt and shame that causes fear and anxiety and worry in your life. And, and Paul says that you're adopted now. That's not your status anymore. Instead, you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. In other words, your status is now changed in Christ, and you now cry, Abba, Father. Now, again, adopted as sons. Here's a crucial thing. In Paul referencing sons here, this is actually a legal understanding of the word. A son is the person who had the right of inheritance. 
In a Jewish culture, who would receive the inheritance? The oldest, the firstborn son. That who would receive the inheritance. And what Paul is getting at here is the son is actually the one who had the right to inherit the father's estate. And so I bring this up because I don't want, I mean, a lot of us are women in this room, aren't we? I mean, I can't, I just read sons and it connects with me in Scripture and I can read along, but I know for many of you women there's, there's a disconnect, but th- there's a theological reason for why the translation is sons here. Because what is going on is that this translation of sons is that Paul is saying something specific. He is saying that we as children of God now become heirs in Christ that we all become the firstborn sons in Christ who receive the full inheritance of the Father. And and, and this is where we we really see it. We we get this understanding, especially in verse 17. Later on, it says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with the Spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of who? Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. And so now what this adoption has done, now being part of the family of God has done, has now created us as um, united or one with Christ, now become co-heirs with Christ. In other words, the kingship, the glorification that is Christ now belongs to who? The children of God as well. Isn't that a mind-blowing thing to think about? And this actually has to do with the whole narrative of Scripture. When we go back to Genesis, God created us so that we could rule and reign and have dominion over all of creation, right? So that we could, would bring shalom to our relationship with God and others in creation. Now, we failed in that, didn't we? We failed in that big time. We failed it individually. We failed it as all of humanity. And now here's the hope is God is saying, you know what? Even though you failed, I'm bringing you back into the family. And I'm bringing you back to the very purposes for which you were created to rule and reign beside Christ. Amen? It's a beautiful reality of the hope that is in us. And so God promises this full inheritance. God promises this heirship that is ours in Christ. This is another picture of how generous our Father God is, that He wants to share in His glory. He wants to share in the fruition of the renewed, made new creation for us. It's this beautiful reality. Now, Here's, here's what also Paul goes on to. He says this, For in Christ Jesus you are sons of God. And again, when you think of sons, think of the inheritance. That's the language there. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now here's what's changed because of the adoptions of sons, what's changed because of co now in Christ. He says, there is neither what? There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are what? For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Amen? And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring. What are you? Heirs according to the promise. Heirs according to the promise. What's the promise? It's the promise that God is going to make things all things new again and that we will finally go back to our rightful place as humanity free of sin, free of evil, free of, of sickness, all these things, and we will rule and reign in the very form and fashion which we were created for. This is literally us turning back to the very purpose and meaning and value that we were all created for. This beautiful description. Now, here's the last thought. We are loved. God as Father means that we are loved. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Who hears the Father? A lot of us are fathers. Two relationships that I have changed my entire outlook on life and especially in my understanding of God was fatherhood. And the first relationship is with the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit convicts me, transforms me. The second relationship that has really changed my perspective of God is my relationship with my daughters. Becoming a father changes your entire perspective on life, doesn't it? <laughs> I remember the first time in that, the, the room when my, my first daughter, Alethea, was born. And it's such a weird concept to think that I was part of creating this life. Isn't that a mind-blowing concept? Who else shared that thought in the, <laughs> the delivery room? Like, I, I was part of creating this life. Like... That's such a mind-blowing thought, and yet when we, we picture God and we understand God, well, God created all things. Like, there's this beautiful love and affection and responsibility that comes with creation, doesn't it? And, and it gives us this deeper understanding of God being the source of life. And, and then as Alethea grew older, um, well, I, then I began to realize my, my depth of love for her, but also my need to discipline her, right? <laughs> Who else experienced that with your kids, right? <laughs> As the child ages and grows, you begin to realize, oh, this child needs correction. Uh, this, this child needs guidance. This, this child needs some discernment, and it, it still comes from a heart of love, doesn't it? And then even more, um, part of being a father, the reality hits that I am now responsible for this child, <laughs> And that reality hits pretty hard, too. You're responsible to feed them. You're responsible to make sure they don't get hurt. You're responsible to make sure that they have clothes on their back, that they learn how to socialize and interact with others and responsible for them to learn and to grow and be discipled. Like, all this responsibility just begins to set in. And it just builds in my knowledge of, wow, how wonderfully God provides and sustains and meets the needs of his children, all out of love. And here's the, the, the most beautiful aspect of it. I think one of the be most beautiful pictures of God as Father in the New Testament is the parable that Jesus tells of the older brother and the younger brother, the prodigal son, right? Right? 
And God, out of love, here you have a, a son who is rebellious and runs away and rejects his father and, and takes advantage of his fathers. And on the other hand, you have an older son, an older brother who, who thinks he did everything right to his father, that thinks he can prove himself to his father, who thinks that all the morality and ethics and doing everything right for his father will somehow earn his love. And yet the prodigal story, the story of the older brother even, reminds us the depth of God's love that even when we reject him with religion or even when we reject him with rebellion, we are always welcome home. Amen? That's the depth of God's love for us. And, and so God is this God who always welcomes us back out of love. And so as we continue these next few weeks, my hope for us, my prayer for us, is, is that we would just get a greater, a broader understanding of God as Father. And that what Jesus emphasized so heavily would be emphasized in our own lives as well. And all the ways that we relate to God would just wash over us and it would transform us and it would transform the way we see ourselves, our identity. It would transform the way that we view God and relate to Him and that He would just be working in our hearts through this season. So let me, let me pray to that extent and then we're going to partake in communion together. Please bow in prayer with me. Gracious Father, that's how we're, we're called to pray. We're called to pray to you as Father. You have given us this adoption. You have given us this status of co-heirs in Christ. You have loved us so dearly, not because of anything we have done to deserve it, not because of anything we have done to reserve this place and right to approach you as Father, but simply because you are gracious and merciful and loving. Lord, we thank you for that. We celebrate that you have made access to our loving Father. And so, Lord, I pray that as we enter in this time of communion, that we would see this opportunity in time and space to unite ourselves with Christ as we reflect on your body broken for us, as we reflect on the blood shed for us. Remind us that it was done so that we could once again have access to our holy God, our holy Father. Lord, apart from you, Christ, we have no opportunity to approach God the Father with boldness and confidence. We have no right to approach the throne on our own. But because of you, you have gained us access into the Father's house. And so I pray that you would just inspire us, that you would just convict us, that you would fill us with such a depth of gratitude of what you have accomplished on the cross for our sake so that by the power of the Spirit, we can cry out, Abba, Father, and regain an intimacy with our Creator God that was lost and regain a sense of union and oneness that we were created for. Lord, we thank you for what you have done on our behalf. 
We celebrate the gift of your life, of your death, of your burial and resurrection, our only hope, the hope of the gospel. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen.